The Hope Project. On this podcast, we talk about matters of sex, sexuality, sexual shame, purity, and how that all relates to Jesus and God. We hope that through this podcast, you'd be able to recapture the beauty of sexuality. Journey with us as we seek to better understand sex and find freedom along the way. This podcast is a part of season one. And if you haven't yet listened to the trailer for season one, I recommend you do that now before listening to this podcast. On today's podcast, we have Sarah Schwartz joining us. Sarah is a dear friend of mine, a woman who is strong, compassionate, and has a lot of powerful things to say about purity culture. So I'm excited for you guys to get to hear from her. I'm excited for you guys to be impacted by this. And we hope that you find freedom from today's podcast. Let's dive on in. Welcome, everyone. Today, we are with the Sarah Schwartz. I won't get more into that because she will feel embarrassed. Uh, But I'm so excited to have her today. We're going to be talking about purity culture, um, which is actually when I was first introduced to Sarah. At a chapel I was at at my university, she was speaking on purity culture in front of her dad. Um, So imagine speaking on sex in front of your dad, in front of a bunch of college students. Sounds like a fun, fun thing. But Sarah, first off, welcome. Second, um, can you describe purity culture to someone who may not know exactly what it is? Yeah, absolutely. First of all, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited about this project and what you're hoping to do through this podcast. So the purity movement or purity culture is a Christian cultural trend um, where all sexual activity outside of marriage is viewed as impure. So if you manage to abstain from sexual activity before marriage... And what kind of sexual activity? That's where the lines get blurry, (laughs) right? So the big rule is don't have sex before marriage because if you do, you're then going to be impure. You're going to be Mm -hmm. damaged. Mm -hmm. goods. Uh, And that's really associated with your worth as a person and as a future spouse. Uh, But the line is blurry. You'll hear a lot of different things from different people about what you can do um, and (laughs) keep your purity intact uh, before marriage. But it really focuses on uh, keeping people virgins before a heterosexual marriage. There we go. Yep. So what are maybe some of the your favorite purity culture analogies? What are some like great just images that were burning in your brain <laughs> as a 13-year-old young girl going through puberty? What were some of those images that you were taught through purity culture? Well, I think it's important to backtrack a little bit and um, realize that purity culture analogies are not in the back of our Bibles with the map of Israel. That's right. Uh, they are not, they weren't canonized, you know, like they... Um, <laughs> well, for some pastors. I mean, for I mean, some pastors, yes. Uh, but... You really, you have to go back to the sexual revolution of the 60s and 70s, right, mm-hmm. uh, where uh, the U.S. at large was evaluating gender roles, was evaluating um, cultural norms as they pertain to sex and sexuality. Women were, by and large, being freed to practice promiscuity along with men. Uh, and so there was a huge cultural shift. Um, and But it didn't last forever. And in the 80s and 90s, um, there was the AIDS epidemic, which mm-hmm. killed millions of people and scared everyone else, mm-hmm. um, as well as an economic uh, dip. Can I tell a funny story about AIDS He's, real fast? Oh. That, that, oh that came off weird. but <laughs> um, So when I was about five years old, uh, my mom and I and my family had an opportunity to go meet Magic Johnson. Oh, my goodness. And so my mom, scared to talk to me about sex, uh, not sure exactly how to approach me. I'm about seven years old. But she knows this guy has a disease, and she's like, wow, this is a perfect opportunity to teach my son about sex. Right. And so she comes up to me, sits me down, and I'm like, okay, Mom, what are we talking about? We're meeting Magic Johnson tomorrow, famous NBA basketball player. 
And she goes, I need to tell you something about him. And I'm like, okay, here it comes. I think then she chickened out. And what she said was, is like, see, he has a disease that if you like have a cut on your hand and he has a cut on his hand and you shake hands, you can get this disease and, and die. And so I actually, when we go to meet Magic Johnson, I was too scared to meet oh him. My so my whole family got a photo with Magic Johnson, <laughs> got to see him, got to talk to him. And I was too scared to contract AIDS oh, no. because my mom was scared about talking about how exactly you get oh, AIDS. Well-intentioned mom. <laughs> yeah, but she's missed, lovely. Missed, missed opportunity. <laughs> That's okay. We've talked about it. We've processed it. I'm a little hurt because I love Magic Johnson, sure, but it's absolutely. okay. Maybe I'll get another chance. <laughs> Anyway, back back to where you were going. Sure, absolutely. So yeah, so the AIDS epidemic um, and an economic crash uh, really swung the pendulum back culturally to uh, sexual conservatism. So as you know, the evangelical right and largely the white evangelical right mm-hmm. sensed a culture embracing the values of the sexual revolution. Uh, they countered with what we now know as purity culture or the purity movement. I'm trying to remember how we got started on that. Uh, purity analogies. Purity analogies. So the purity culture, <laughs> purity movement. Um, so it's really in the 90s that you mm-hmm. start to see these analogies being taught in youth groups. or. And you had the book I Kissed Dating Goodbye. I absolutely had the book I Kissed Dating Goodbye. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was saved in the 90s and early 2000s. <laughs> Granted, I was a small-ish child. But yep. um, yeah, I actually still, I think it's in my childhood bedroom. You know he redacted closet. like everything you said? He redacted it. I'm not going to lie to you. Wasn't super impressed with his redaction yeah. of it all. Um, like I'm, most apologies from public figures. Right. Like, I'm I'm glad that he was like, hey, this was a mess because I remember that book terrifying me. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, I think that <laughs> I also think that a lot of the blame there has to sit with a community of people that was like, yeah. you're 19. You yeah. should you should tell everyone what to do. And yeah, you don't have a exactly. degree or whatever, <laughs> but that's cool. Um, it's fine. I'm 28 and I have a master's degree from seminary and people still won't let me tell them exactly. what to do. You can't write Because I'm a lady. <laughs> um, so some of the analogies that, that started to come out of this movement were you know, you are, you and your sexuality and your virginity are an unchewed piece of gum. Mm. And if you have sex before you get married, it's like you become a chewed piece of gum. And who wants that? Gross. You're icky and gross. You. And, and so you're going to be unlovable, right? So things like chewed piece of gum, um, a rose with all of its petals torn Aww. off. Um Scotch tape, you know, you can't stick tape to a lot of surfaces <laughs> because it loses its stickiness. But the core message with all of those things is that you become not only are you a disposable object, but your value decreases mm-hmm. and then you uh, become uh, you can't be in another relationship and be fully loved and valued mm-hmm. and cherished. When I heard today, which is I mean, why was I talking about pre culture today? I don't know. It just happened. <laughs> But a girl was telling me that she was told that it was like you lose a puzzle piece oh my every time you engage in sexual yeah. activity. And so you don't have then the full image. But it's yeah. like, man, when you use that image language, now it's image of God. So it's like, have you oh lost gosh. that because you lost a little bit of your what puzzle? What a theological mess. <laughs> like, wow. Well-intentioned pastors. Oh, my goodness. Wow. That's terrible. Yeah. But she's fine, I guess. <laughs> I'm, yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> she's, we're all, she's working we're all through it. fine. Yeah, we, we came out unscathed. We're not depressed cool. as a generation. It's cool. We're we fine. don't have shame. Exactly. It's issues. It's fine. Yeah. So I guess a question going off of that, you were raised kind of in the 90s. Not really. I mean, you were young in the uh, 90s. Yeah. Which this, <laughs> I'm only this, 28, born yeah. in 91. But yeah, okay. When this really started. Yeah. And then the early 2000s, really, mm-hmm. I think, is when it took hold, kept like started going. And so what was the journey like for you becoming a woman as you entered adulthood, mm-hmm. processing through things, I'm sure, having boyfriends? What was like the uh, effects of purity culture on your life? Yeah. So I went to private Christian school, um, K through 12. I then came 
came to our shared alma mater Mm -hmm. and then attended seminary after that. So I pretty much have gotten the most Christian education a person can. (laughs) Um, And I think that early on, like I said, having that copy of Joshua Harris's I Kiss Dating Goodbye, uh, it inspired me as an early adolescent, you know, 12 or 13 to be like, okay, you know, my body and even my heart, you know, Josh Harris talks about don't give away your heart Mm -hmm. um, to Mm -hmm. more than one person because then you're going to become less of a person to be in a relationship with your future spouse. Note that all these arguments uh, hinge on you will have a future spouse one day. Mm -hmm. Um, You Mm -hmm. know, there's no possibility of singleness. Um, But I early on, I internalized, okay, well, I want to do this right. So I'm just going to put off even the possibility of dating. You kissed it goodbye. I really (laughs) kissed it goodbye. (laughs) Having not kissed anyone, I really (laughs) kissed it goodbye. Um, And so because I believed that Mm. and I wanted to do it right. And, And I can remember as a young teenager having nightmares where I dreamt, I didn't dream explicitly, but I I dreamt that I was in the aftermath of just having had sex and being, like my dream self being horrified because in my head I had committed the thing that couldn't be undone. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so now I was ruined and all of my my relational prospects were ruined. And I I remember that being a reoccurring dream. Um, But yeah, it, it... but then also I was an opinionated woman in evangelicalism, which meant I was kept safe from most <laughs> dating until about the age of 21. Scary. So, yeah, I didn't I mean, I didn't have to wrestle with it in the context of a relationship yeah. um, for a long time. But but early on, it really um, sunk into my psyche that that was mm-hmm. the worst thing I could possibly mm-hmm. do. Yeah, I can even remember growing up. I had a sister and a mother who loving like my sister had a rebellious high school years and so she was kind of dating around and doing different things and I hadn't dated anyone but I was struggling with pornography mm-hmm. and so I remember my sister and mom like saying this is the most disgusting thing you could have ever mm. done not knowing that I was struggling right. with it obviously because they'd never say that right uh, but I just remember because of purity culture because like every sexual desire was just evil yeah I just started to hate myself I started to hate who I was and you get a girlfriend at some point yeah. you start spending too much time in the back of your car yeah. and then you hate yourself even more mm-hmm. and so I, I just can't imagine the toll like the the narratives that we've been teaching our kids have taken on them as they even think about like I used to go to the beach and I'm like I can't be here like I can't be here because mm. there's girls in bikinis and like if I even look at them if I talk to them like yeah. I'm gonna fall into a pit that I can never get out of yeah um, so I think there's a huge reshaping um, that needs to be done and so I think Going back before that, I think purity culture is a big deal, like and how the churches live that out. And we'll talk about that a little bit more. But I want to get into like a little bit of parenting. Yeah. Even though neither of us are parents, yeah. so we have no idea uh, how to actually do <laughs> but this we are, well. We are people's children. <laughs> That's so, right. Yeah. I have been parented, <laughs> so therefore I am good enough to yeah. parent. Um, what were some of the things you were taught growing up from your parents? Um, did they explain sexuality? Did they explain sexual desire? Was that kind of just kept away? Yeah. So I, my childhood was interesting because. Um, my parents first enrolled my sister and I in private Christian school because they had sort of had Christian experiences growing Mm -hmm. up. Like my mom went to Catholic school and my dad's mom became an evangelical midlife, but they were mostly like, well, we think there's a God and maybe our kids should know him or it. Mm -hmm. Um, And it wasn't until I was later in elementary school that my parents became Christians. Mm -hmm. So I feel like I have this interesting experience of being very much an evangelical insider, but also mm-hmm. 
I was shielded from a lot of the worst um, because my parents were figuring it out. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's really important when I think about my childhood, um, a positive message that I received because my mom was and is a committed athlete. Mm -hmm. I got to watch her use her body for her. Hmm. And I, I got to watch her be strong and powerful. And she wasn't decoration. She wasn't a sex yep. object. Yep. Um, but I do remember growing up and, and sorry, mom, um, part of being a becoming a young woman was, oh, you can't wear that. Oh, like mm-hmm. go change. Oh, and especially going to Christian school. Like I have a few moments, like horrifying moments I can think of, of being like pulled out of class or pulled into like a corner somewhere to be like, oh, you need to like change your top yeah. or like you need yeah. to like do X, Y, or Z because like, and, th- and then internalizing in that way that um, I may not have been a sexual object in the Victoria's Secret catalog way of being a sexual object, but I definitely was one that was going to cause some seventh grade boy mm-hmm. to like, commit some terrible sin Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so early on like in those years i can remember thinking my body is bad it Mm -hmm. causes people to do bad things um and it's only really been until my mid-20s that i started or only it took until my mid-20s for me to start untangling that and Mm -hmm. realizing that my body is actually inherently good Mm -hmm. um and that other people's sins i am not responsible for yeah um so yeah definitely my Prepubescent and pubescent years, that was a big one, was the modesty talk. Mm-hmm. Really. Like, I, w- I interned in a mega church the summer after my junior year of high school. Um, it was my first time away from home. I spent the whole summer, like, 200 miles away from my family, lived in this dorm room, kind of my first independent experience. And uh, we were required as interns to attend the Saturday night worship service. Hmm. And um, I was in the front, like, both hand raised, like, double hand raised <laughs> doing worship, right. doing the thing. And, um, this pastor's assistant like came up to me like with like eyes closed fully in the moment and was like, hi, um, your outfit is really cute, but um, it's <laughs> causing some of the men to stumble. So if you could maybe go worship Jesus in the back, that would be great. And it's was, like, did, what did they get all together and talk about it? Like, when did this conversation happen or was it just the pastor? Also, I'm 17. Yeah. So maybe I like, oh I don't know, gosh. maybe think about it pretty hard but i remember being like oh okay of course, and yeah. i darted out of there so fast i went and locked myself in a bathroom stall and cry you know when you're a kid and like you can't bre- catch your breath <laughs> mm-hmm. because you're crying mm-hmm. so hard like mm-hmm. it was so humiliating yeah. and that happened yeah. at least once a year from like 12 to 19 yep, yep. well i think that's a, a big component i think the more I've reflected on purity culture and talked to girls about it and women about it is that this whole body mm-hmm. idea for men, I feel like at least for me, it, the idea of like my body being bad, mm. like was never a thought that crossed my mind. Mm-hmm. But again, cause that's cause we're not getting the messages of like your body's causing people to stumble. Right. You need to, you know, wear a longer skirt. Oh, your shoulders are showing. That's bad. So bad. Um, like my sister, there was this constantly in our house. It was kind of one of those things where it wasn't necessarily my parents, but it was the church and the school where it was like, Hey, she got sent home because she was wearing too short of shorts. It's like I never got sent home for everything, like anything ever. I never got talked to about clothes. I'd wear like a tank top. I'd wear like tank tops all the time. Never got talked about it once. Um, You didn't have a swimsuit requirement to wear one piece when you went to camp? (laughs) We could wear Speedos. It'd be fine. (laughs) Like no one would – people would actually be kind of offended if we wore Speedos just because it's gross. Um, But, yeah, it wasn't a gross in the sense of like your body's bad and it's sinful. It was more like, oh, yeah, you have hair on your legs. It's kind of gross. But that's it. That's like the most negative – 
kind of girls don't have sexual desires about men so exactly yeah they can't stumble that's the underlying message is Mm -hmm. girls can't stumble Mm -hmm. and that then immediately makes the woman's body and an object and thing to be bad it actually encourages objectifying because you're you're using that kind of language yeah that's something that's just uh moved me in the Mm -hmm. last few years so Moving from family, moving from this journey, now let's go to the church. Because yeah. I think this is really where the parents are just regurgitating a lot of times right. what their pastors are right. telling them. So well-intentioned. And the pastors are just regurgitating what the movement right. is telling them right. um, for the most part. So how have you seen the purity culture movement of the 90s and early 2000s affect the church today? So not how it affected it back then. But now if you look at the church now, where do you see that impact coming from? Right. Well, I think it's important to, because nothing is divorced from capitalism that the period movement has made a lot of people a lot of money that's right um there are an unreal number of conferences books podcasts like i had a true love weights ring i remember being 13 being like i'm ordering myself one of those Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. like like people have made speaking careers and and now we're making millions and now now we're making so talking about it much money i mean (laughs) honestly i'm quitting my job um so people have made a lot of money, mm-hmm. uh, but now here in 2019, it's interesting. I feel like when you first heard me talk about purity culture in mm-hmm. like 2014, yeah. purity culture was it was just becoming a buzzword. Yeah, um, it, it was just becoming a conversation in evangelical circles, being like self reflective. Mm-hmm. Now in 2019, it's interesting. Before I came here, I googled purity culture to see what would come <laughs> up, and there are. There are articles, you know, not just on Christian publications, but on like broader oh, yeah. secular oh, yeah. um, as people have, have really begun deconstructing it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel like we're at this like there's certainly a lot of purity culture left <laughs> mm-hmm. and residual mm-hmm. um, residual effects and, you know, systems and structure, structures that are still um, exist in the modern day church. But you are sort of seeing it begin to be chipped away at. And I think a big part of that is. Uh, church too, the hashtag mm-hmm. church too, right? Mm-hmm. Which is um, after the Me Too movement. Actually, I, I do want to make sure to say this because I feel like church too gets co-opted a lot. Yep. It was started by two women who um, I know, Hannah Posh and Emily Joy. They're mm-hmm. actually Moody Bible Institute mm. grads. Um, and they began that hashtag uh, as a way to draw attention to sexual violence and sexual abuse yeah. in the church. Yeah. Um, but I, so I think that's been a really powerful tool at the church kind of being self-reflective and, say, and saying, how are we propping these systems yeah. up still? Well, yeah, I think the Church Too movement is so interesting because you think of the Me Too movement, really good movement. Yeah. I think most people would agree in what it's doing yeah. is really good. Well, I mean, until it like threatens their until, preferred yes, political party yes, or Supreme Court candidate or anything like that. But up until then, absolutely, <laughs> yeah. I support women. Well, it's it's one of those things where it's like, I love it until it kind of becomes, and I could just say, oh, it's politicized now. Right, right, right. And well, now, this, yeah. it, was, it was stolen by the left. Before it was good and yeah. it was pure, and it, but now it's Oh, this taken costs over. me something? Exactly. Oh, no, thank you. Exactly. Yeah, and yeah. the church, too, I feel like yeah. in the same thing where mm-hmm. people are like, oh, my gosh, especially when you look at 2002 with the, the Catholic abuses of yeah. kids. It's like, wow, this is a really good thing. We have the movie Spotlight. Wow, this is awesome. And right. then the church starts coming out with these things, and it's like, wow, this is really good. But then it's like, oh, it's politicized. It's just trying to tear down right. church leaders. These are good, yeah. faithful pastors, like yeah. good men who are leading these churches. How dare you? Yeah. Um, kind of thing. And it immediately just swings, yeah. um, which I think has to be a lot of doing with this purity culture. So what do you think in purity culture, maybe as a 
general whole of society because it really is i think most aspects of society are in some ways affected by it oh yeah um how have you think this has silenced women yeah. in terms of coming forward in the me too movement and in the church too movement yeah so i think it's important to note that purity culture while the way that we're talking about it now we're talking about it mostly in the in the bounds of evangelicalism mm-hmm. um purity culture exists yep. worldwide right exactly. it's the reason there are honor killings it's mm-hmm. the reason why uh sexual assault survivors don't come forward because they think it was their fault. Like there, that is, it's not exclusive to evangelicalism. We just happen to like paint it with this shiny Christian veneer and Mm -hmm. say like, this came down the mountain with Moses. Um, so it's, it's very interesting. I actually uh, highly recommend a book. She's not a Christian, but I promise you can still learn things from her. Um, (laughs) No way. (laughs) That's not allowed. Um, it's called a book called the purity myth by Jessica Valenti. Um, mm. that, and it, she she talks about evangelical purity movements and whatnot, but she also talks about purity as this idea that people are obsessed with at large. But mm-hmm. usually the world wants to call it like virginity, right? Mm-hmm. Which, by the way, is not a thing yep. because it's not a medical term. It's like yep. the state of not having done something. Um, where did we start this? I can rant so <laughs> how, easily. <laughs> how has the purity culture movement, let's say specifically within the church, yeah. at least the church culture, because yeah. that extends, how is that maybe – encouraged, not encouraged, discouraged women from coming forward yeah. in the church and outside of the church. Yeah. So, oh, I remember why I was saying this, because it's similar in the secular world as well. So when thinking about purity culture, I was thinking about, I don't know if you've seen pictures or articles. I certainly have never been exposed to this firsthand, but I know that it happens and is a mm-hmm. thing. Like purity balls where like 11-year-old <laughs> yes. girls go with their dads I heard about this. to like yes. sign a thing that's like, I'm mm-hmm. going to remain pure until marriage. Mm-hmm. And like, here's this creepy certificate mm-hmm. um, that says like, my dad is the owner of my virginity yeah. until- Until I, she gets married. Until she gets married. And, and that's true even- even in like less creepy manifestations of purity culture, mm-hmm. it's this idea that like my virginity is a gift for mm-hmm. my future spouse, which while like in theory people would say like, yeah, that's true for men and women. It's mostly true for women. Yep. Um, so I think that this idea that exists within purity culture, whether it's explicit or implicit, is that men are the owners of women's sexuality. Mm-hmm. So when you encounter instances of abuse or harassment, right, that power dynamic already exists. Yeah. Not to say that men aren't abused, because they absolutely yes. are, yes. by women and by men. And that's yes. an important thing to talk about. But statistically speaking, the majority of mm-hmm. abuse victims are female. Mm-hmm. Majority majority of perpetrators are male. Mm-hmm. So you're already, you're experiencing abuse or harassment in this power structure mm-hmm. where men already own you. Yep. Um, Then you've been told that your value is attached to what you have or have not done physically, Mm -hmm. and then something is physically done to you. Yeah. And even though that's not sex, even though you weren't consenting, like sexual abuse, rape, stuff like that isn't sex. It's violence. Mm -hmm. Um, So all of a sudden these things have been done to you, and you internalize, well, if I participated in this, even though you weren't willing, um, then I am impure. Right? So people don't come forward already because they're Mm -hmm. ashamed because it's someone they know and love and trust which usually is they Mm -hmm. don't want to rock the boat i was even Mm -hmm. thinking about evangelical women and women at large we are positioned and trained to make everyone else comfortable Mm -hmm. i don't want to rock the boat i don't want to cause a scene or a fuss and that is a very big scene and fuss to cause um so I think the idea of men owning our bodies and our sexuality, the lack of power that women generally have in evangelical circles, mm-hmm. that too, it, along with the fact that the leaders you're going to report stuff like that to may be some yeah. of the most wonderful men in the world because most yeah. of our leaders are men, but a lot of women aren't comfortable 
uh, saying those things to men yeah. and also aren't yeah. are thinking he's probably not going to believe me because mm-hmm. this is his accountability partner. Mm-hmm. This is his golf buddy. Mm-hmm. This is his associate pastor. Mm-hmm. So you have no one to go to even yeah. if you do have the courage to yeah. come forward. Especially when you add in success of yeah. pastors once like, oh, this youth pastor has grown. Yeah. The youth group from 30 to 70 kids. He loves the kids. He's mm-hmm. interacting with them. This is awesome. Yeah. It's like, well, now you're going to rock the boat of the church's growth. Like reaching the loss is now going to be hindered Mm -hmm. because you are coming forward to out this guy. Right, right. Um, Which just is... Or God is going to look (laughs) bad. Yeah. Right. How dare you? How dare you? Have you not read that passage where Christians should handle their legal (laughs) matters amongst one another? Yeah, goodness gracious. This is just a legal matter. Matthew 18, did you not tell him to stop? (laughs) Have you read your Bible? I don't know if you have. Um, So I guess we talked about this a lot, but a question that... I've been wrestling through and talking with friends about is kind of beyond maybe the body idea and beyond maybe in how it's, you know, favored men over women. Mm -hmm. How has purity culture impacted men and women differently and the negatives of it? And if there is any positives, um, but in the negatives, what are the, what do you see are the two effects? Like, okay, here's the effects that happen on men and here are the effects that happen on women. Well, I think an often overlooked piece of this conversation is the negative effects on men Mm -hmm. uh, because we have told young men that they are slaves to their desires. They are almost subhuman when it comes to their sexuality. Boys will be boys. Boys will be boys, which generally means boys will be terrible and it's okay, champ, because (laughs) you are just terrible. You're a boy. You're an animal. You're a boy. You're an animal. Um, And we've also, we've we've cast men as sexual beings without much feeling Mm -hmm. and women as feeling beings without much sexuality which in mm-hmm. reality we're both human yeah uh, we have our differences but we uh, we're both sexual beings and we're mm-hmm. also both emotional beings in need of community and um, and emotional intimacy mm-hmm. um, so for young men I really mourn the idea that um, they're supposed to be responsible and leaders in every other category but then when it comes to sexuality yeah um, they're subhuman mm-hmm. um, and then for women this idea one that women aren't sexual and so any mm-hmm. sexual desires you must feel as a woman you should be ashamed of because yep. you are outside of the norm yep. or you're outside of the narrative you were well told. you become the animal that the boy is right because the boy who has sexual desire is an animal right and now you have sexual desire oh you are a and monster you're not supposed to be because exactly. i've seen at least in my generation you know there is a is a club or support group or whatever for boys to go talk to someone about their porn addiction like you can find one on every street corner which is great and i'm here for it (laughs) but like for girls that Mm -hmm. that outlet doesn't exist Mm -hmm. and i can't tell you you know having gone to summer camp and having gone to christian college (laughs) how many you know dorm rooms i've walked into with crying girls being like oh my gosh like you want to go farther with your boyfriend i do too and i don't know who to talk to about it Mm -hmm. because no one has told me that that's a part of like having a pulse. Yeah. Um, and that's normal. And that's normal. And that's even God created. Right. Yeah. That I think for for men and women, we've really done both of them a disservice because we haven't defined lust. Mm-hmm. And so everyone has grown up thinking that sexual desire is lust. Yep. Which like let's just set the record straight, you know, for our millions of listeners because yep. this is going to change here. everything. Yep. This is going up on desiringgod.com. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, lust is 
taking advantage of something that does not belong to you. Yeah. Right. Um, taking advantage of someone's image or body or uh, using them in your mind to an end. And you're not in relationship mm-hmm. with that person. You haven't gotten that person's permission. That's mm-hmm. what lust is. Sexual desire means you're not in a coma. Like yeah. sexual desire means that you are a living, breathing human person. And it's now okay there's still, to... I mean, there's, there's a movement now of asexual people. So sure. yeah, we want to acknowledge Abs- that absolutely. as well. You're completely right. But, we're talking about the swing side of things, the, the side other of side, yes. of course. By and large, yes. Um, so, yeah, I think that those are, are disservices that have been done. Honestly, positive things I can't think of a whole <laughs> lot. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's not easily accessible. It doesn't really uh, roll More abstinence? Oh, weird, weird, because it, there hasn't been more abstinence. Yeah, yeah. There's just yeah. been more people uneducated having sex. And that's why you see, like, when abstinence-only education is what's taught in schools, you actually don't see a decline in teenage pregnancy. Yeah. Because you just have a lot of people who don't know what's going on yeah. having sex without protection. Yeah. yeah. Well, I even read this book. Um, it was called God, Sex, and the Conservative Church. God, mm. comma, Sex, and the <laughs> sure. Conservative Church. And it was detailing kind of data on when do people lose their virginity? Yeah. What is the difference between outside the church and inside the church? So the average person, according to this study at least, it said they lose their virginity at the age of 16. Mm. Those in the church, like the evangelical Protestant world, lose their virginity at the age of 17 and a half. Oh, wow. Whole year and a half. And then Catholic people, Catholic people, uh, lose their virginity at the age of 18. Mm. So they're doing the best. Wow. uh, Apparently. So go Catholics. Yes. (laughs) Uh, But if you look at the whole point of the book is showing, like, there's no difference. Yeah. Okay, sweet. We deterred having, you know, intercourse for a year and a half. Right. Uh, maybe a little bit longer, maybe a little bit shorter, but if it's just deterring for a year, okay, clearly this we're doing something wrong. Right. Like if this whole purity movement was to keep people abstinent, to give their virginity to their spouse, uh, to do a lot of good, keep them pure, but then it's only delaying it, yeah. not actually fulfilling it, right. uh, then we've gone wrong. Right. And that's the whole point of the book. So that's even why it makes sense where it's like, okay, what good has come out of this? Well, it's not abstinence. No. Because <laughs> that hasn't come out of this. I mean, no. everyone I know who's dating is struggling. Yeah. Um, and they're really ashamed. And they're really ashamed. Yeah. They don't want to tell anyone about yeah. it. It's like, well, we don't want you to know what we did in our car right. last night. Right. Um, we'll just show up to Sunday worship and, you know, repent privately and move on. Right. Um, Live in Move life on alone. To back to the car again. The and... New Testament dream. <laughs> exactly. Live in life by yourself. Um, let go and let God. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, I, I've been trying to think of, like, what positives have come out of this movement. Yeah. And I have been just where you're at, where I'm like, yeah, I guess maybe, like, the positive come out of it is a knee jerk where everyone's like, okay, let's actually go actually look at the scriptures. Yes. What actually even is purity? Right. What actually even is lust? Right. Rather than taking, okay, this purity culture has hijacked yeah. these terms when I don't think they were ever supposed to just refer to your sexuality. Right. Um, it's supposed to be a broader context. Yeah. So I guess something positive, because I don't really think we just want to just talk about negatives. Sure. Um, although maybe purity culture, we would largely agree, is negative. What do you think are some positive things the church, the Bible, Christianity has to offer to the secular world about sexuality? Because I think right now the narrative is is that people in the church are just going to have to control their sexual desire. They're not going to get to act out. They're not going to love who they want to love. And so the outside world says, you guys are stupid because yeah. this is pleasure, this is good, this is connecting, yeah. and you guys are kind of holding people back from doing that. So what can you say from the biblical narrative or the biblical account that is different right. from that narrative that can actually offer a benefit right. to people? Right. Well, like we talked about earlier in our conversation, um, 
before we started recording, you said something where, you know, we were sexual before we were sinful, right? Mm -hmm. So in the biblical narrative, you do see sexuality as this inherently good thing that God um, wires into the first two humans. Um, I also think of, right, Song of Songs, which as much as we want to make that about... It's an analogy. It's an analogy, and it's all these things, and it's everything but what it actually is, right? It's this celebration of sexuality. It's a celebration of Mm -hmm. love and romance and and intimacy. Um, Mm -hmm. It is according to the scriptures a very good thing now also i mean with the with the fall of humanity it is used as a terrible thing it's used yeah. as a as a weapon against people it's used and abused it, it helps us exploit and hurt other mm-hmm. people um but in the narrative of all things being redeemed so is our sexuality being mm-hmm. redeemed in the context mm-hmm. of scripture and in the biblical narrative um i also think that something we we overlook is um Right. So Jesus, I love, is all about rather than the letter of the law, because you can change your response to the letter of the law or you can change your actions. But if you don't change your heart, Mm -hmm. it's not worth anything. Right. So when Jesus is talking about, um, oh, so Moses said that you could divorce your wife. Like I say, if you like do X, Y or Z, it's the same thing. Or when he says um, that looking at a woman with lust in your heart, right? So looking mm-hmm. at a woman with the intention of using her, yeah. with the intention of um, exploiting her without her consent yeah. in your mind. Which is not just sexual. Wh- it's, right, it's right. broader than that. Right. Um, you've already committed adultery. So Jesus is bringing us back to our um, our intentions in our hearts and how we view each other, right? And that's mm-hmm. where I think that Christianity has its, its strongest thing to contribute. It's... Um, uh, that's where I think Christianity really can come in, particularly in this moment of Me Too, particularly in the moment of Church Too, and say that the biblical narrative tells us that all uh, of humanity is created in the image of God. Mm-hmm. Um, Jesus says that the law and the prophets is summed up to by saying, love your neighbor as yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, it, all of the rules and regulations which we've gotten tripped up on, which have created purity culture, man-made rules and regulations can be boiled down to, am I treating uh, my sexual partner? Am I treating my neighbor? Am I treating my friends, my families with the dignity that someone made in God's image is worthy of, mm-hmm. right? Am I um, respecting them and caring about their needs, their desires? Uh, am I? Do I care about their voice, what they're saying they want, what they're saying they don't want? Um, that's the strongest argument for me against sexual yeah. violence yeah. Um, is yeah. this person bears God's image. Exactly. Um, and, and that's the thing that I find so frustrating because I learned more about consent from law and order than I ever did from, you know, nearly 20 years of Christian education. But uh-huh. the but the things I learned about consent are deeply Christian. I yep. just didn't find them yeah. in my Christian yeah. community. Yeah. Well, I, I feel like the Bible paints an actual picture of consent, of dignity, yeah. of the human being, of a, a foundation mm-hmm. of worth. Right. Um, but so often we're looking at kind of the to-dos and yeah. the not-to-dos right. that we kind of miss the overall dignity, right. the image of God that each person bears that like, hey, a puzzle piece that you've given away right. by messing up is not taken away from that foundation right. that we have. Um, but I think that's something that, just as you were saying, it's like we learn these things. Like I remember learning through reading psychology books or different things, and I'm like, wow, this is so awesome. I wish the Bible talked about this. And <laughs> yeah. then I go to the Bible, like, oh my gosh, it's there. It's there. Like, it's there. But yeah. we so often miss it because we're just taught, you know, big T theology, like yeah. what to believe and then what to do. Because right. as long as you believe the right things and do the right things, right. 
then you're good. Because that's easier to do than to exactly. change your posture towards your fellow man. Exactly. Like that's that's a tall order, and that's the harder thing to live in and out of, right? Rather than having these surfacey, I stayed a virgin until I was yeah. married. And yeah. because I think, and hopefully, I know you'll talk about this when you get to your episodes about marriage, but just like getting to marriage a virgin doesn't mean that you're going to have a God honoring others honoring sex life like you mm-hmm. can still exploit your spouse in marriage mm-hmm. you can still be selfish like you could still commit commit sexual violence yep. within the context of marriage so that's why always coming back to the posture of your heart is is where jesus always has us return to mm-hmm. yeah yeah I, I think that's something man i want to talk about that more <laughs> but there's another right? episode <laughs> where i'll bring in someone else we'll talk about that but yeah i think that is the foundation of Saying we believe something, mm-hmm. but not actually living it out. Like yeah. saying, I think every Christian would agree that every person in the world has dignity, worth, value, yeah. made in the image of God. But then as soon as it comes to something they disagree with, something that might be murky or gray mm-hmm. or hard to deal with, or because it attacks someone that they love. Right. Um, now, it, oh, they're just playing the victim. Right. Or oh, they're just politicizing. They're just taking a power grab. They just want attention. They just want money. Yeah. And it's like we all of a sudden just lose this insane worth that the Bible puts on the human being and then just side with, you know, the political mantras of our time, which is, oh, they're just doing that, you know, for their own gain, their own power, their own money, um, when the Bible just preaches such a different narrative. Absolutely. This has been awesome. Uh, This has been a lot of fun. I want to end um, with an important few questions, um, and that is, what advice would you give to yourself when you were 12 years old? So looking now, um, as in, an adult looking back on yourself when you were 12, what would you want to tell yourself in regards to sexuality, purity culture, purity itself um, that you wish you would have known? Wow. Oh, Sarah, you've got a really bad haircut at 12. Um, <laughs> what was it? Uh, it's, you know, just, I, sh- yeah, we won't, yeah, I'll send you a picture later. It's hard to describe. Like a bowl cut? I was going through, I was starting to grow into my body, and I just, I was very into, like, the early 2000s, like, streaky highlights mm-hmm. and... Um, who wasn't? Who what? I mean, honestly, who yeah. among us? I put blue coloring in my hair <laughs> at one point when I was, like, 15. But you know how, like, in that era, it wasn't, like, highlights that, like, blended in naturally. It was, like, highlight, yeah. highlight. Yeah. Yeah, I was super into that. That was a good time. It's pretty cool. Um, My 12-year-old self... Because, like, let's be real, that was a few years before my boobs fully came in and before things got really mm-hmm. hard. Yeah, so, like, thinking you're on the verge yeah. of puberty and verge of your body developing into what it's supposed to be. Yeah. What would you want to tell yourself as this new change is coming? I would tell her that her body is good, that she um, was fearfully and wonderfully made, mm-hmm. that her body belongs to her, and that she is not capable of leading other people into sin. Yeah. Um, and that it's okay to start feeling sexual desire, and it doesn't mean there's something bad or broken in you. Mm-hmm. I can remember, like, when those things started awakening in me, being horrified. Yeah. Because, one, nobody told me that that was about to start happening. But mm-hmm. I remember, there. I can remember this one night laying in bed and being like, when I go to the doctor, are they going to be able to tell that, like, I have these desires now? Because mm-hmm. I was so oh, yeah. afraid of someone finding out. <laughs> are they right? going to know? Right? And it's not like I was even doing it. Are they going to know that I think Johnny is cute? Right. Like, what, what happens? Like, I wasn't doing anything bad. I wasn't mm-hmm. watching porn. Like, it wasn't. Mm-hmm. I, it was just the fact that, like, I was coming to understand myself as a sexual being. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'd tell myself that I was okay. Yeah. Um, and I was good and I was okay. Yeah. 
And so then moving from that when you're, say, 19, yeah. entering your 20s, <laughs> maybe seriously starting to consider dating guys, yeah. if you can find one um, that isn't a jerk. <laughs> that didn't happen until 21. Um, so. <laughs> so when you're entering 21, what would you want to tell yourself in entering the arena of actually maybe yeah. processing sexual desire with now an actual human being human that being. you're in relationship with? Yeah. Hmm. Uh, I... I think I was pretty good at 21. I remember entering my first relationship and, like, telling my girlfriends, I'm going to tell you everything that I do because <laughs> if I tell you guys everything that we do, then, the, like, that means that, like, we will keep I will ourselves. never have sex. I will never Ever. cross Not a boundary. Not even when I'm married. Never going to happen. <laughs> when I'm married. I'm carrying that V card yeah. to death. Yeah. For Jesus. <laughs> For Jesus. Um, I remember telling my friends that, and even though, like, I can laugh at that now, um, I would probably encourage her instinct to be in community. Yeah. Um, and to never be isolated in, um, in that. Like, I tell my friends everything else. Like, why would I not mm-hmm. invite them in it? And obviously, like, you don't want to invite everybody into that part of your life, but, yeah. but the people that are, like, nearest and dearest to you, um, to have those broader discussions, to not... I don't know, to not talk in generalities with that those core group of people, right? Like, we love to, like, not get specific. <laughs> and, like, not to get specific, just, you know, to be, like, titillating, yeah. but to be, like, here is specifically what mm-hmm. is happening. Well, yeah. Um, I would also say, because even, you know, with my, like, card-carrying feminism, which was very much there in that day as well, um, even though I've never experienced sexual violence and, you know, never had a partner um, uh, who you know, did anything I didn't want to do, mm-hmm. but reminding myself, like, you have a voice yeah. and like, you get to say like what you do and do not want. Uh, because it's, it's still that posture deep within me at 28 of like wanting everyone else to be happy and comfortable, no matter like what that mm-hmm. means for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so ev- even outside of the context of like sexual violence, like reminding myself, like yeah. you can, you can say like, nah, I don't want to do that right now. Yeah. Or like, here's what I think, you know, the boundary we should have, or like, I'm just not interested, RN. Like, I don't want to make out right now. Instead of being like, <laughs> oh, well, this is what you do, you know, yeah. because I'm a girlfriend and this is what girlfriends do. Yeah. Um, well, even girls going into marriage, I feel like it's often like, my obligation right. as a wife is to fulfill right. my husband's yeah. sexual desires. Right. And then you carry that into dating relationships yeah. and that that's still there. It's maybe not as sexual because that's bad. Right. But it's still like, oh, he wants to make out. Okay, we have to make out. He wants yeah. to, to cuddle and fool around right now. We have to do that right. because that's my job. I have to be, if right. I want to be loving and a good girlfriend mm-hmm. or a good spouse, then I have to do these things. Or if I want him to keep liking me. Exactly. Which I would like saying out loud sounds horrifying, but is very much real. And mm-hmm. like, girls, if you're listening out there, if a boy doesn't like you because you don't want to make out at the drop of the hat or whatever <laughs> run don't <Yeah>. walk <laughs> flee flee so fast yeah um and and so not only like live in community say what you want say what you don't want um but also communicate with your partner yeah like that it's so important it's yeah. so important even if you're not having sex mm-hmm. like to talk about like Every step of the way, like, I know that there are a lot of, like, funny sketches these days about, like, consent where it's just like, can I put my hand on your knee? But, like, also young men, like, don't assume, like, if you're the one initiating next steps, also goes for you girls, if you're initiating next steps, stop and ask. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. because enthusiastic consent is the name of the game, people. Um, <laughs> anyway, so communication could not yeah. be more key. Well, and for guys, I mean, if I can speak to them, it's like, hey, 
if your girlfriend doesn't want to make out, stop being so freaking shallow <laughs> and like talk yeah. like or hang out. If she just wants to sit there and watch a movie, then yeah. sit there and watch a movie. You don't yeah. have to start feeling like yeah. there's different ways of actually connecting yes. than just through what is going on in your pants. Yes, absolutely. Um, but so often like with my guys, like, well, I feel most connected when like we're cuddling or making out. It's like, well, then grow, yeah. like grow <laughs> in your ability to connect. Like I just I don't get it where it's just like, yeah, but like. I was just stressed out today and I just I just really wanted to like make out with you and cuddle. I just feel connected. I'm just like, no. It sounds like, like your relationship sucks. Yeah, it sounds like you're unhealthy. Like yeah. it sounds like you need to t- talk to a counselor. Yeah. Like there's things, serious things that if you can only connect through physical means, right. then there's something seriously wrong because what happens is you're going to get married mm-hmm. and that's going to carry with you. Mm-hmm. And it's not like all of a sudden now that you can have actual yeah. intercourse that's yeah. without shame that all of a sudden now your wife's going to want to have it all the time Yeah. and that it's going to be this perfect stress reliever, right. headache reliever, yeah. all these different things. Oh, and she's going to love it right Oh away. my gosh, she's like, going to love every gonna, moment of it. Like, like intercourse is really going to be what does it for her. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's just like, man, grow. When you're dating, grow in your ability to love right. your wife because once you start living with her, like right. full time, like yeah. these are going to come in handy and just being a good human being. And my guess is that it's not that it's your, the only way you feel connected. It's just the easiest yep. way to feel connected. Yeah. But it becomes the only way because we don't work through the harder ways of like, hey, men, learn how to communicate. Mm -hmm. Hey, learn how to actually care for her like desires and feelings, not just her sexual desires. Because men, yeah, maybe you're good. Probably not. But maybe you're good at caring for her sexual desires and her intimate desires. But probably not. (laughs) For the most part, probably not. Um, But learn how to care for her emotionally, spiritually, you know, intellectually. Engage with her. Read a book with her. I don't know. Do something other than just trying to get up her shirts that you feel better about having the, the fight that you just had right. earlier because right. the number one thing after every time my friends fight even after sometimes when they break up immediately it's just like straight into like physically acting out with each other right which i'm just like why is that yeah the number like oh you just had this emotional conversation oh let's just start feeling each other up it's yeah. like okay, wh- why yeah why um because you know like yeah don't i want to talk about shame and don't experience it in certain ways yes but it's like why would you enter into that where you know right. five minutes later right. you're gonna be like man i wish we would have connected in a different way right um yeah, it's, it's frustrating for guys. So I guess to close, um, if you could give, if someone came to you and said, hey, sir, I want you to write, I kiss dating, hello. <laughs> I don't know what I don't know what they'd ask you to write. I made out with uh, dating. Yeah. <laughs> I, I felt dating up. Probably not. They're probably not going to ask you to write that book. No, but if they did. I also have very limited experience dating, so I should not write that book. That's okay. Yeah. Um, again, you don't have to date to know how to treat a human being right. well um, and how to love someone. That right. comes with friendship. Um, but what would be your hope for the church for the next 10 years in terms of purity culture, especially in terms of youth? Because I think as mm-hmm. once you get adults, mm-hmm. you maybe start to figure things out more. But like, especially for the the prime years of teenage years of early young adults, what would be your hope for the church to be for these people? Like, what would they be saying? What would they be doing? Yeah. Um, what would be your thesis of that book? Boy. Um, well, I think of, it was Dr. King who said that too often the church is the taillights of justice rather than the headlights. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that in this com- in this certain moment that we're in right now in 2019, um, we are not the headlights of advocating for sexual abuse survivors dignity we're not the headlights of consent like we're not um we're not the headlights of uh, of a healthy sexual ethic right mm-hmm. we're sort of like tail lighting this biz yeah um, we're reacting we're, we're reacting not being proactive. Yeah. right um and so my hope would be that this next generation as we've 
started to deconstruct purity culture that we raise individuals who um, who it is sexual violence or exploitation is as unthinkable to them as cannibalism. Yeah. Like it just grosses them out. Yeah. Um, it seems like the most unnatural thing in the world because they have such a high level of love and respect for their fellow human beings mm-hmm. um, that they view themselves as made in God's image, that they view their sexuality uh, as a gift from God mm-hmm. um, and are able to be, you know, like, like Viola likes to say, like redemptive voices in culture mm-hmm. when it comes to sex, that they don't overemphasize the specialness of a, uh, of a, or the sacred nature of a husband and wife's, a sexual relationship um but they don't <laughs> i love it. i was just thinking of a typical pastor it's like i love my wife like oh my look gosh. at her she's so hot and then it's like oh we have the best sex he's like awesome sick dude like cool. you want some nuts like, like what what you. do you want you want a cookie like weird flex but yeah okay. that's that's cool i saw this tweet the other day that was like <laughs> you either die a jezebel spirit or live long enough to become a smoking hot wife <laughs> That actually might be the title of my memoirs. Um, those are your two options. Those, that's it. Either that's be it. a temptress right. or a beautiful virgin of the whore. Yeah, that's exactly. it. Exactly. Um, <laughs> but yeah, but that we become a leading and redemptive voice when it comes to a, a healthy sexual ethic. I don't understand why Christians are all like anti. I mean, I understand why we're anti-human trafficking. That's like an abomination, and we mm-hmm. should, all should be working to end that. But like, we don't. We aren't. We aren't able to like connect the dots of like sexual exploitation when it's like laid on our doorsteps um but that we become a relevant and redemptive voice and that we raise a generation of believers who are confident in who they are and their own worth outside of their sexual activity or lack thereof yeah that's good well thank you so much sarah uh thanks for being with us today and thank you for sharing your thoughts your history your story um i hope this can impact people um the ways that you just laid out thank you As always, we want to make sure we clarify this episode may have triggered you sexually. It may have brought up old pain, old shame, or even old unhealthy sexual behavior. With all of these things, we encourage you to tell someone about it. Don't keep it in. Don't walk alone. Invite people into your life. We hope that Sarah's words today gave you all a hope for coming out of purity culture that you could have never imagined. We hope that you can know that you are not damaged goods, you are not beyond repair, and you are not broken that you can find wholeness in Jesus through the grace offered through the Holy Spirit. Okay, everyone, that's it from here. And as always, may the God of hope fill you all with joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in